the voice of reason, the voice of alarm, the voice of stats, the voice of scouts, the voice of Kool-Aid, the voice of dismay, the voice of Davo. And welcome into yet another edition of Your Dish on Clubhouse Conversation. It is Davo. Glad to speak with you again. And I wish it was on better circumstances with the Royals playing a bit better baseball as KC drops two of three in New York after the rain out today. And they get set for a key weekend series in Cleveland where the Royals actually do have pretty favorable pitching matchups the majority of the series, right? Or do they? Some numbers say yes and some say no. We will delve fully headfirst into what the metrics say about the pitching in the series, as I believe each series, each baseball game starts and ends the majority of the time with the starting pitching. And that's no, you know, brain surgery analysis. That's, that's quite the hot taker here right now, right? But we'll talk all about that coming up here in a few on Clubhouse Conversation. But let's talk about the current state and current health of this Royals team and what you really want to talk about. The trades, the trade deadline, the fire sale you keep hearing about. We're going to talk about that. I'm going to give you my take on this. And we'll start off with the health of this current Kansas City Royals 2017 ball club as we know it. Only looking at the major league level. We're not going to discuss the minor league system at this time. We'll do that later in the year. But as far as the major league level goes, we'll talk about the health right now of the 2017 ball club. And again, no hot take here, but the Royals are on life support as we know it right now for this 2017 season. The clock's ticking. It's not midnight yet, but hard to believe that we're a week away from June 1st. June 1st is not early anymore. The Royals have a 19-27 and record, which is the worst record in the American League. So while you can say, well, they're only six out of a wild card and still only seven and a half out of first. Well, yeah, but that's beginning to become quite cumbersome when you consider it's June 1st. If this was May 1st or April 15th, yeah. But, well, actually, that'd be really bad if you're six out of April 15th. <laughs> I don't know if that's possible, really. But, but no, you get my point, though. But, I mean, sitting eight under 500, the point being you're the worst team in the American League. So the problem is now you're going to have to outduel what, about 10 or 11 of the other uh, 14 teams besides yourself from here on out. You're going to have to outplay them all to jump them all. You know, to, to make it more simplified, you just have to worry about your divisions. You've got to outplay four teams in your division. Realistically, the Royals aren't going to win the wild card probably at six back. They're also not going to win the division. I already conceded that about three weeks ago. The division's done. The season is pretty much done, as we know it, as far as postseason. I hate to say it. I'm the one that predicted, yes, that the Royals will win the division this year. I was quite headstrong and steadfast about that, but... I didn't see a number of things happening that happened. You know, and I will give myself credit. I was right on Cleveland not running away. I said that Cleveland was highly overrated. I got that one right. I said that the Colorado Rockies were going to potentially win the NL West. Even bought a ticket in Vegas to prove it with the over on the wins at 80 and a half. So there were a number of things I was right, just to stroke my ego here. But I really had this Royals team wrong, and it bugs me. It, it, it disappoints me. Obviously, because this is the one that means the most to me by a hundred times. Well, this team is seven and a half games out of first place to the Twins. I have no idea how the hell the Twins are in first place. Uh, they're just hitting the baseball. Miguel Sano is turning into a complete stud. Brian Dozier hasn't even gotten going yet. They got Kenneth Vargas back. Kenny Vargas back in that lineup. You know, the Kepler and Grossman, I mean, that's just a damn good lineup. Irvin Santana is quietly competing for the Cy Young, along with Jason Vargas, another quiet candidate, although 
Regression likely coming for him. We'll discuss that in a bit. But you look at that Minnesota team, the bullpen's been a little bit better than expected. And are they for real? That's a question I'm starting to think they might be. They're young. I mean, Byron Buxton hasn't hit a lick. He'll start hitting at some point. And like I said, you got Vargas back in the lineup. Dozier's going to start heating up. I would not count the Twins out, as crazy as that is to say. And, you know, it's <laughs> six weeks ago, I would have said it was crazy. But, you know, perhaps they're the 2014 Royals this year, the Twins, coming out of nowhere seemingly come out of, out of nowhere for the national for people who don't follow them every day like we saw the royals about to burst on the scene in 2014 the media didn't right so kind of the same thing for the twins i'm sure their fans saw some of those coming same with the rockies i knew the rockies would be good this year with all the great young pitching they have so to me this season's kind of become about enjoying royals baseball enjoying this core together for another two months and all they've done for us and there's some nice Things happening on the field as well, like Jorge Bonifacio coming up and looking like a polished veteran hitter. And we've seen plenty of guys have a good hundred of bats in the major leagues before fizzing out. So by no means am I putting the cart before the horse here. I'm not calling him the next everyday Royals right fielder or DH the next four, five, six years. I'm not saying that at all yet. Could it happen? Yeah, it could. Bonifacio has a tremendous approach up there at the plate, uses the whole field, knows what he's doing up there. Doesn't look rattled at all. Has fun. Now, the defense is atrocious. Bonifacio, quite likely the worst defensive outfielder I have ever seen in a Kansas City Royals uniform. That's not an exaggeration. But the the upside on offense is there, and, and Rusty will work with him, and, and I think he'll become a lot better defensively as well. But right now, it's absolutely brutal out there in the outfield. But he is one of the better surprises. His bat. You know, there's, that's one of the nice things going on with this ball club. And, and Solaire's going to start hitting. People are way too tough. The guy didn't really even have much of a spring training. You know, played about, I guess he played about two-thirds of the spring training and then got hurt and went down. I just, I don't know. I thought like the guy just hasn't gotten in a, in, a, in a groove yet. He needs more bats. He'll be fine. You got Moose chasing a home run record. We'll talk more about that in a bit as we talk about the trade deadline. Mike Miner having a nice career turnaround. Jason Vargas having a Cy Young type year so far. Joaquin Soria's bounce back. Whit Merrifield all of a sudden looking like the second coming of Michael Young <laughs> with his, his power all of a sudden there at second base. So, yeah, there's there's nice things happening here. So let's make sure we talk about that. But as far as the postseason, it's done, guys. Like I said, you're seven out of first, five and a half behind Cleveland, three behind Detroit. And a losing series this weekend sticks the fork in it. You go into the last week of May – Nine or 11 games under 500. I mean, if the Royals get swept, they will be 11 games under 500. If they lose two out of three, they'll be nine games under 500. Teams don't come back on June 1st from being nine games under 500, right? Especially because it's just what about this team makes you think they're going to take off at this point? I mean, the history would say yes, the recent history. And coming into this year, I said only one team has been to two of the last three World Series, and that's the KC Royals. I wouldn't count them out. And, I, you know, they were healthy coming into the year, playing for contracts, last time together, honoring Ventura. Those are my thought process on why they'd win the division this year. I knew Cleveland wouldn't be good. I didn't see Minnesota being this good. And I didn't see the Royals tanking. It just isn't happening. I mean, when you think about it, there are a lot of pieces that aren't here anymore, right? I mean, you've got the core here still. But let's go through it. You, you, you no longer have Holland and Davis at the back of your bullpen. Your closer now has an ERA over four. So maybe we want to cool a little bit on the talk about how Herrera is going to bring back a haul. Teams aren't looking for an unreliable closer. So your bullpen's not even close to what it once was, right? I don't think any of us saw 
the Ventura loss being as big as it has been. I mean, what a just absolute crushing blow to this, or not only this team in particular, but this organization, right? I mean, look how bad Jason Hamill has been, not counting his last start in Yankee Stadium, which was, without a doubt, a slam dunk best start as a Royal. And that's about one of two games he's pitched well the whole season. But, I mean, having Ventura in there right now certainly means three or four more wins for this team, minimum. Not to mention the future of him and the continuity he provided. I mean, he's gone. Davis is gone. Holland's gone. Hochaver out of the bullpen is gone. You go through it. Dyson's no longer here with that personality. Kendrys Morales is no longer here. You have no Jeremy Guthrie, who used to give the the post-game you know talks in the locker room and really rally the troops and keep them loose. And, and not to mention, pitched pretty damn well there for a couple of years for the Royals. You don't have him around anymore. I mean, there's just all you look all around this team. Christian Cologne's not here now. Had a big hit. It's not the same team, and it, and it shows. I, I think at this point, what happened this year, in, and I, I hate that I'm sending like this. I hate that I'm sending like it's October third right now, and we're recapping the whole season. But you know, the RIP for the season. But this is the RIP for the season, right? Realistically, we're going to talk about what we have to look forward to in the trades coming up. But <laughs> I mean, you look back. What do I think happened? Is is the next question. A lot of these guys just age so much over the winter. Like I, I still think Alex Gordon is so interesting because he's striking out less. The hard contact is is better than it's been. He swings out of the zone a bit more than he should, but he's always kind of done that. I mean, he's been extremely unlucky if you look at the metrics. I mean, he's he's been obviously very disappointing the last year and a half. And Brandon Moss until the last week or two two weeks two and a half weeks I have to break down the numbers, but it's been awful, right? Those are two of the things there. Alcides Escobar has been beyond awful. You put Mondesi out there for God knows why instead of Mondesi the first month. or I mean, instead of Merrifield the first month. And I just think what happened is guys come out trying to hit home runs, expecting to be really good, playing for the money, you know, excited to make things happen, honoring Ventura. You know, you had those emotional videos both in Minnesota and in KC, so that's on your mind. You get out to a rough start. You start trying a little bit harder. Then more negativity comes, and you're all of a sudden you're buried almost, right? And then it's just like it falls apart. And by the time you start relaxing and becoming yourself again, and I'm looking kind of at Eric Hosmer when I'm talking about this, now he is who he is. He's using the whole field. He's hitting the ball to left field. He's not trying to pull everything. He's not rolling over and hitting ground balls to second as much. I think not just him, not just picking on him, but a number of these guys on this roster tried to do too much. They really did individually tried to do too much. And then by that point, then they started getting their mechanics out of whack and it kind of snowballed on everybody. And it just became the negativity came back and it became like the old Royals. These guys remember winning, but they also remember losing because, you know, they haven't erased 2012 and even to a small degree 13. And even when they were coming up through the minor leagues, looking up here and, you know, us fans still have a little bit of negativity left. We earned that, honestly, over 29, 30 years of just mostly miserable baseball. So that's going to take a while to go away. So that kind of came back with this April. Kind of took you back to the Our Time Royals back in 2012, right? Same kind of feeling this April. So that's what I think happened. Anyway, back on track here. So let's talk about what pieces are going, what moves are coming. And we're going to talk way more about this in about a month here on Clubhouse Conversation. I mean, this is kind of, I keep getting tweets about this at Royals Clubhouse, so I thought I'd give you an early preview slash prediction of what I think might happen. So this is all assuming that the Royals are six plus games out of a wild card on July 1st. I mean, if you're six plus games out of a wild card on July 1st, that means all but two or three teams are ahead of you in the American League. You're not going to jump five, six, seven teams for a wild card. 
Same thing if you're six-plus games out of the division. That means probably three teams are ahead of you. You're not going to jump three teams for a division. It's just not going to happen. The math doesn't add up. So that's so this conversation is assuming that happens, and I think there's a pretty good chance this will happen. That's why it's the first time I'm willing to actually open up and talk about this and speculate a little bit. I don't want to do it, but I think we can all agree as adults here that the season's pretty much on the rocks at this point. So what's your number one commodity? People keep bringing up names, and it seems like Eric Hosmer, since he's kind of the face of the franchise, him and Salvia, I would say, it seems as if the fans, especially the casual ones, only want to talk about trading Hosmer or re-signing Hosmer, which is a bit odd when you look at some of the numbers he and his teammates have put up and even compare him to other first basemen around the league. But he's not even close to your number one commodity. And we'll break it down by offense and pitching. Your number one commodity easily is Lorenzo Cain. Lorenzo Cain will get traded if he's healthy. In July. You can write that down. Great defensively in center field. Top three in the game. You know, supposedly Kevin Kiermaier is one of the best center fielders, and we saw him play two singles in the Little League home runs <laughs> in Tampa Bay in the same series. So, But, you know, there's lots of great center fielders. But Kane, okay, maybe top five at this point. But he's a top three to five center fielder with all that postseason experience. And that's what this core does offer. Not only are they athletic with great defense, all of them, Moose, Hosmer, Kane, Escobar, but they all have a ton of postseason experience. Two World Series runs. And being in the postseason hunt in 2013 and into the last week of the season, even last year, we're still semi-in it going into September 1st. So these guys have a boatload of postseason and high leverage experience. So that's a lot of it, along with the athleticism. But Kane plays the premium position. He could get you a really good package back, if you, especially if you piece him with another guy as well. Throw in somebody else, whether it be a minor league piece somebody wants or whether it even be a guy like a Mike Miner, who we'll talk about in a little bit as a bullpen piece, or even a Soria. I don't think there'll be a blockbuster trade like that. Those are always like video game, you know, rotisserie fantasy baseball type trades. Those don't happen usually in real life. Usually you don't have two at the deadline, two stud major league players traded for a huge package. Normally it's one for one or one plus a couple small pieces. But I think Kane is all but gone if he's healthy. I do. And I think your second most attractive player is Moose. But, but I don't think Moose gets traded. Here's why. Number one, I think he might be the one you can re-sign, the, the best chance at re-signing him. And let's be clear here. You could always trade a guy and have him come back and re-sign. I mean, obviously, that's that's possible. So just because you trade him doesn't mean he won't re-sign. I, I still think there's an outside chance Dyson can end up back here this post this, this uh, offseason. But Moose, something to think about with him. Can you really trade Moose, not only with a re-signable thing, not only with the fact that you still have to fill a team and you've got a TV contract coming up and you don't want your fan base completely, the casual fans completely flipping you off, right? But also on top of that, what would be one of the most exciting things for all of us, especially the casual fan to be following in August and September this year? Steve Balboni's home run record. 36 home runs. Moose is going to shatter that this year if he's healthy. Can you really trade Mike Moustakis in mid-July if he's sitting low to mid-20s home runs? Knowing that that's one thing that could really excite people the last two months of the season. Remember how much fun it was? Grinky's Cy Young season at least gave us something to look forward to every five days and watch. You still want to put butts in the seats. You still want to have, I don't want to say human interest stories, but baseball interest stories. And, you know, I, I think that I, I just don't think Moose gets traded. If, he, if he's going to break Steve Balboni's record, that, that's kind of cool. You can't. I, I think he's here. I don't think Moose gets traded. I don't, I don't think he's going to get you enough anyways that you need. Now, another name you can think about is would you package Cuthbert with Kane to get yourself two or three studs back? I'm thinking a high-end 
starting pitcher and a couple high-end position player prospect types, double-A on-up type guys. Maybe one ready player and a couple guys that need a season or two in the minor leagues. But that could be a really nice package if you did something like that and then re-sign Moose to play third base. Because you have plenty of options for first base next year. So I, I'm not sure that Cuthbert ever really has a position here if Moose comes back. Now, Hosmer is your third most valuable offensive chip. But, speaking offense, he's basically a league average offensive first baseman. With his defense, he's an above average first baseman in his experience. He'd be a nice piece to acquire, but only if there's an injury, I feel like. Because a lot of teams can stick somebody at first base that has a, a, a nice bat that hits for power. Right? So I, I don't know that the Royals can get back what they need for Hosmer. Because here's the deal. Could they trade him? Of course they could. Somebody will want him. Plenty of teams will want him that are in the hunt. Not plenty, but a couple teams. A lot of teams aren't going to have a need for a first baseman and not going to give up what it would take to get him. Unless there's an injury. I think he stays. But with Haas and even Moose, those are two of your guys that will easily get 50-plus million on the open market. And, and the deal is, if you didn't know, with the new collective bargaining agreement, if a player gets 50-plus million, the Royals would see, re, re, you know, receive a, a compensation pick there between the first and second round in next year's draft, plus extra signing bonus pool money to sign guys with. So the Royals would be getting, for every free agent, let's say, let's say Hosmer and Moose leave, the Royals don't trade them for prospects because there's not enough out there or they want them to chase home run records, what have you, and they keep them both, right? Then what happens is at the end of the year when they sign for 50-plus million somewhere else, you get two first-round picks in between the first and second round plus extra pool money. So you can really stock up on prospects. So if you do that, or not prospects, but stock up on high-end talent. You know, you hit One of those two turns into a stud major leaguer. That probably makes a lot more sense than trading them for you know, fringe, average, everyday major league players guys that profile as that, right? If you're trading Hosmer or Moose right now at the deadline, most likely you're getting a guy who profiles as an average major league everyday player or a number four or five back of the rotation type starter. It almost might be more make more sense to just take the draft picks and hope that one of the two turns into the next Mike Trout. Trade your cane to, to get a couple play, pieces there kind of for next year and for 2019. Now, the other guys offensively that might have an outside chance, but probably not. Alcides Escobar could get moved if there's an injury. Because of his defense and experience, I mean, shortstop, obviously, a premium position. He could get moved. It wouldn't shock me. There, you're not gonna, again, though, you're not going to get much. But for him, he's not going to get a $50 million contract. So it almost makes sense to deal him if there's any sort of offer that can net you even a, a nice high-end relief prospect. It might make sense, right? Get Mondesi up here late July, let him play short the rest of the year, work with Mon- with uh, Merrifield at second, get that continuity down going into next year. Because Escobar will get you nothing if you let him walk at the end of this year. He's not going to get $50 million on the open market. Now, Moss has another $6-plus million he's owed next year. That's unlikely, but I'm just saying if he somehow, somehow starts hitting the cover off the ball, you could maybe see him trade it, but that's highly unlikely. That If, if it's a one-year deal, yes. Somebody would give up something to get him, but I feel like he, you know, I, I don't see that happening. Now, pitching is a place where KC is loaded. So, in summary, I think that Kane is the most likely to get traded. I think Moose and Hosmer are the, are the second and third most attractive players, but I think Escobar is the other one that gets moved. So, I, I will say Kane and Escobar get traded come late July. Pitching-wise, Jason Vargas is gone if he's anywhere in the, in the mid to low threes at the end of July. Now, he's an interesting case because the Royals could re-sign him, but with his age entering the mid-30s, and do you really want to commit three years 
40 plus million to Jason Vargas. I don't even know what he would get in the open market. I, coming to my head right now is three years, 45 million. If he keeps up, like, let's say he throws 170 innings, 3.6 ERA. I think he gets like three and 45, two and 28, one and 12, something like that. He's, he's risky. You don't want to hold on to him because he's probably not going to get $50 million on the open market. So you probably deal him at the deadline and then either maybe resign him this winter if you can get him cheap. But get something for him. He should be able to get you something really good if he continues this. I mean, starting pitching. I mean, I read today Sonny Gray might be the number one trade commodity. If you look at his numbers lately, they've not been good recently. He's been injured a lot too. So Vargas could certainly get you a nice prospect or two. I think he's gone if he's healthy and pitching well. Joaquin Soria is the second most likely if he keeps this up. He's also valuable in that he has a year additionally in his deal, which who thought we'd be saying this you know, six months ago. But he could be attracted to a team knowing that they get him for a year and a half. Could also be attracted to the Royals knowing they get him for a year and a half. Kelvin Herrera. I'm sorry, guys. There's not a big market for closers with a 4.26 ERA. Hopefully he continues to turn it around. Or not continues, but starts to turn it around. Something's not quite right there, and a lot of closers or a lot of high-end relief pitchers have short shelf lives. Ask Eric Gagne about that. You know, and you know, Herrera's never really been a closer before, obviously, because of the teams he was on with the studs. But you know, maybe perhaps he's—I don't want to say he's getting towards the end of an elite run, but I mean, he's got several good major league seasons left in him. I think Herrera's going to be a really nice major league reliever for another five, six years, but maybe maybe his days as a high-end closer or, or what we thought he was going to be, maybe those are gone. Maybe he's now a league average closer or a good setup type guy. So I'm not sure that there's the market there for Herrera. Mike Miner's a possibility. He's been pitching well, but again, what are you going to get for him? Not a lot. You also have an off chance of seeing Ian Kennedy traded, but he has an opt-out after this year if he pitches really well. So that kind of complicates things. And if he doesn't, then the team's on the hook for three more years. I I doubt he gets traded. I think he's here. So in summary, my crystal ball would say, before we preview the the weekend series, my crystal ball would say Lorenzo Cain gets traded, Alcides Escobar gets traded, Jason Vargas gets traded, and either Soria or Herrera. So I will say four guys on this current roster from the semi-core guys are traded. You could see some... Cuthbert get traded, but I'm not going to predict that. I'm saying the guys that get discussed because of their contract situation. I think Kane, Escobar, Vargas, and either Soria or Herrera. I believe four guys will be sold, and I do think that Moose will stay here, so will Hawes. They'll try to resign both, end up probably just getting one of them, and then get the supplemental pick for the other one. And it ends up pretty well then. You end up restocking and probably getting five to six prospects from the trades, and you end up getting an extra draft selection and an extra bonus money this winter. So I think that sets up quite nicely. The Royals have some nice pieces in the minor leagues, and I think that they can be a competitive ball club by 2019-2020. I'm only willing to say that 2018 would be kind of a throwaway year the way it looks right now. So those are my thoughts right there. Kind of exciting, kind of depressing, mostly depressing, right? We, we, we didn't want to be having this conversation. I wanted to be talking about a postseason run. Just don't see it. Now, the Royals are facing the 24-21 and 21 Indians, who are just 8-11 and 11 at home this year, by the way, which is kind of odd. But they're playing better recently. They've won six of the last 10 overall. Let's go through these matchups. On paper, they look pretty good for the Royals, but let's delve a little bit more further in. Kennedy, Ian, of course, 0-4 with a 4-0-6 against Mike Clevenger, who's 2-1 with a 1-5-6. So here's the deal with Kennedy. His ERA is a pretty respectable 4-0-6, but the XFIP says he should be more around 5-1-7. That's not good. And that's because the BABIP against him, which is batting average on balls in play, 
opponents are hitting just 198 this year against Kennedy when they put the ball in play. It was 268 last year. So you do the math. We can expect a bit of regression there, which is not good. Now, will it happen tomorrow? I mean, it could. It's it's coming soon. That's the thing with I really like looking at XFIP right now and FIP and some other things. Some other advanced stats are great as well. Sierra is another one I look at when looking at pitching and, and, and offense as well. But I mean, like, you look at this time of year is a good time of year to look at XFIP and FIP because it's like what you expect to happen. Like, you know, baseball is a game that evens out. We always say that. You hit three line drives at somebody, eventually you're going to get three broken bat hits. It kind of evens out for the most part. So it's coming. I, this, this is the time of year when you get about, you know, towards the third mark of the season where things start evening it out and guys start becoming what they should be. So that that's why I'm going to talk about XFIP a lot during this dish. Now, the other good thing in this game is that Mike Clevenger has a 1.56 ERA for Cleveland. That should be 3.83 because his BABIP is even lower, 171. So, uh, you know, his saving grace has been that he's striking out 9.87 per nine innings. That's not going to continue although he did shut down the Royals big time that Sunday afternoon game a couple weeks back. But I think the Royals probably eke out a win in game one with Kennedy going. I, I see the Royals putting up, we'll see, three runs off Clevenger, one off the pen, maybe a 4-3 to three type Royals victory in game one on Friday. So we'll take the Royals on this game with both pitchers facing regression, but Clevenger looking at most. And, of course, also Kennedy's much more talented than Clevenger is as well. Clevenger's mechanics are really wacky. Watch him tomorrow. It seems like he'll get in a, a rut soon and walk a lot of guys. It just seems like it's hard to repeat those maybe, but maybe I'm wrong about that. I mean, Tim Lincecum was pretty damn good with what looked like whacked up mechanics too. Now, game two is Jason Vargas and Danny Salazar. On paper, before the year, this is a huge advantage for Cleveland, right? So before the year, this would look like a slam dunk win for Cleveland, but on paper right now, it looks like a slam dunk win for the Royals. However, it's not going to be. Jason Vargas, 5-3 and three with a 2-3-0 has been fantastic. Salazar, 3-4 and four with a 5-5-5. The XFIP has a lot of bad news on Jason Vargas. His ERA is 2-3-0. should be 4.21. That's two runs almost, 1.91. And the main reason is because he has stranded 82.1% of base runners. He's not going to continue to strand 82% of base runners. That's not going to happen. The saving grace for Vargas is the 8.07K per nine. That's a big reason. And people treat me sometimes. I tweeted out about Danny Duffy's strikeouts being a lot lower this year. We'll talk about that in a couple minutes here. And people said, well, who cares? You don't have to strike people out. Blah, 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 blah. Well, if you're going to be an ace, you do. Let's go through the top 10 to 20 starters in baseball. All but one or two of them are going to have huge eight-plus strikeout per nine inning numbers, nine-plus strikeout per nine innings. To be an elite major league starter and a dominant number one, you have to strike guys out. Because batting average on balls and plays around 275, 285, you know, the hitters keep putting the balls in play, they're going to find holes. And if guys are on base, you can't strand them unless you can miss bats and strike people out. So it's a big deal. So Vargas' 8.7K per nine, which is higher than most of his years in his career, is a big reason he's stranded 82% of base runners. But that's not going to continue, most likely. There's going to be some bad luck coming for Vargas, which sucks. Danny Salazar is on the opposite end. His ERA is 5.55. It should be 3.34. And here's why. 362 Babbitt against Danny Salazar. That's not going to continue. Neither is the 24.4% home run to fly ball ratio. To give you an example of what it was last year, Salazar allowed 12.8% of his fly balls to leave the park last year. This year, 24.4% of fly balls are leaving the park. That's not going to continue. The Royals will lose this game. One-to-one in the series, you've got Danny Duffy and Josh Tomlin in the finale. Duffy's 4-3 with a 2.92. Tomlin 2-6, a 6.70. More bad news. 
right? <laughs> I mean, let's just stick right with what the where the train's going right now. Danny Duffy should be 4.52 instead of 2.92. I hate my life right now. Duffy only has a 5.5% home run to fly ball ratio and extreme hard contact against right-handed hitters. Right-handed hitters are going to start hitting home runs against him soon. The K per nine is way down as well. It's gotten better, obviously, the last few starts out. But 9.42 K per nine last year, 7.24. That's well over two strikeouts a game less this year as compared to last year. That's a big deal. And that home run to fly ball ratio at 5.5% is not going to stay that low. Will will he give up a whole bunch of bombs Sunday? Not necessarily, but it's coming soon. There's going to be some home runs soon. Probably against right-handers with the hard contact rate he allows against them. On the other hand, the other bad news is that Josh Tomlin has three runs of positive regression coming. His 6.70 should be 3.65 because he has a 364 BABIP this year. That's ridiculous. It was just 276 last year. So Tomlin's got some nice things coming. I'll take the Indians on Sunday because I really strongly believe in XFIP that much this time of the year. The next month, I really strongly believe in that. If you play fantasy baseball, start up in your game and start paying attention to XFIP. It'll help you win all the money. Cleveland wins two out of three. Unfortunately, the Royals will come home nine games under 500. Memorial Day, and we can begin, uh, I don't know, getting even more depressed. <laughs> All right, that's it for the dish tonight. We'll be back with you mid-next week. I will be actually watching some Rockies baseball with my buddy out in Denver this weekend for the weekend. So I'll be watching the Rockies a couple of times. Can you believe they have the best record in the NL? It's nuts. Be back with you again next week on Clubhouse Conversation. I'm sorry that we're not doing quite as many this year as we have in the past. It used to be a daily thing the first couple of years, and it was kind of a you know three out of five days last year. And this year, it's more like a once-a-week type thing. I'm going to try to make it twice a week as the summer goes on. It's just life has gotten really freaking busy. I've had some issues with my dad having some health issues and stuff like that. And you know, and let's be honest, some of these series, who wants to talk about them, right? But we'll be back again next week with you on Clubhouse Conversation. Have a great long weekend. Go Royals.